Well, what a fun series this has been. To be honest, I was pretty nervous about preaching from Song of Songs. Um, and you've, if you've been here all these weeks, you know why. Um, it's been a, but it has been a fun, fun trip through this book that I, first time for me to preach through this book. Many of you have had questions. Many of you have made comments, uh, saying that you enjoyed this series. So maybe we'll come back around to Song of Songs in the future sometime. But it's good to just talk about human things. It's good to see that God is not afraid of our humanity. And that God set us free to be human beings who love, who desire, who marry, who have sex, and who bring forth children into the world. And so this has been a good humanizing series. And I'm excited uh, that today we have one more time. Next week, like I said, we will take just a brief moment and we will have just a sharing of pastor's heart and what I've learned and what I think is going to be a challenge for us as a church. So you'll want to be here next Sunday. It's going to be a good, good time just sharing from pastor's heart. But uh, today we conclude our series. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Song of Solomon chapter 8. Just a few things I want to make sure that we remember a few things as we enter into the conclusion. We're kind of wrapping all these things up. Remember that this is a collection of Israelite love poetry, often read at Passover. So kind of combining uh, the divine drama of the parting of the Red Sea and the children of Israel being set free from centuries of slavery. And then this very human love poetry book read together saying that this was God's gift to humanity and his glory is shown in this when we desire and love and marry and enjoy one another's bodies that this is a part of what God set us free and so God's glory is found even there there are a few themes that we saw throughout our time together and throughout reading this one is the theme of intense desire that this male and female character together really desire one another and there's often this this time where they're separated and they have this longing to be together oh where is my love and then they find one another and they begin to comment about one another and what they love about each other and then just when it's about to get too racy it like breaks and starts all over again and then they're separated just showing this that love continues on and on this desire to seek and to be known uh, of seeking and finding there's also this theme of the joy of physical attraction Uh, We saw that last week as they were describing one another's bodies in very poetic uh, ways. And we saw that this is good. This is a part of of being loved, but it requires some vulnerability to really know your partner, to be allowed to, to share the way that you see your partner's body and eyes and, and everything about them, that this is just a beautiful thing. And so these themes are all kind of pulled together in this conclusion that will be the heart of our message today. But first, let's invite Lori the Shulamite back to the platform. She has the majority of the reading today. Uh, in fact, the whole reading and uh, the rest I will read. Two whole verses. So there you go. Let's listen to the word of the Lord. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, its ardor unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. 
If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say in response, thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Lori the Shulamites. We will miss you next week. All right. I want to describe the seal for you. The seal was something that, uh, that a person had that they would stamp their image or their mark into wax or into a paper or something that would show ownership. Uh, and so wherever that item went or wherever that thing went out into the world, people would know by the mark, the seal, that that, who that belonged to, whose it was. The radical nature of our scripture in those days, in that day and age, it was really only the men that had a seal. And so here we see the radical nature of love that can overturn even the cultural things. And she says, place my seal on your heart and on your arm so that as you go out into the world, my love, people will know that you are mine, that you belong to me. And so, of course, I'm sure that he could say the same to her, that I want to do that. But I think it's just beautiful that the Song of Songs says places this into the mouth of a woman who's not used to having the power of the seal to be able to say, no, you are mine. And on the heart, it means inwardly, you are mine and I am yours. And outwardly on the arm, you are mine. Inside and out, you are mine. We are ours together. About the closest thing we have as a symbol like this are these, these bands that we place on each other's fingers to show it's just the outward, but it's a symbol of the inward. But they were, she was saying, oh, in this, you are mine. You are mine. What a beautiful thing. And so we go on and we read our passage and we see these beautiful passages. I think it's just an incredible way to sum this up, that love is as strong as death. It's ardor, which means it's enthusiasms, it's passions are as unyielding as the grave. We have seen this, that once love has come, once you have seen them and they have returned love, there is just that passion. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame, which is why we said there is, there is need for boundaries. There is need for uh, using this well, that it has the power to do great good and can create great destruction if used improperly. But we begin to see and reminds us of the power and the intensity that love can bring into our lives. I hope that you have experienced this. And it's not just always about romantic love, but there is that love I hope that you have experienced from someone in your life that says, you and I, we are together, friends or however that might be, but we know the intensity. She goes on and says, many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot sweep it away, which reminds us of this very human longing to know and be known, that quenching that is there. Uh, if you've ever been thirsty, you know, sometimes you think, oh, I could just drink a river. But the, the poet wants us to know that that human longing to know and be known can never be quenched. There is a longing. And even if you've been in a relationship for a long time, there should still be that, that quenching, that thirst that needs to be quenched that you find in the river of your other, your partner. She says, if one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. In other words, 
Let's sing the song. Can't buy me love. (laughs) Why can you not buy me love? Because love is a gift. Love is a gift from God. But that person who loves you, loves you, and just loves you. And you love them. And that is a great gift that is given to you. If you have to buy it, it is not love. It is a commodity. It is a thing. Love is alive. It is a verb. It is an action. It is something that is gifted to you that you receive and you return. All of this then gets worked out in these other passages. These other verses that follow this kind of conclusion. It's almost like, okay, we're going to conclude this with these very poetic things about love as strong as death. Its ardor as unrelenting as the grave. A great flame. It cannot be quenched by rivers. All these things. And then it kind of demonstrates this in the verses that follow. And these are strange verses. And said, In fact, somebody asked me, he said, You know, are you ever going to preach from these verses? Because they're really weird. And I said, you should know me. Of course I'm going to preach from those verses. So this is where the friends come in. Uh, I'm not going to have you read this. I'm going to read this to you. But it begins with kind of this place where a lot of people begin. And I think speaks to us in our day and age in particular, where we are so image conscious and image focused. And so it starts with the friends. I don't know how good of friends they are because they're really teasing this one who has spoken so beautifully of love. She says, they say to her, we have a little sister and her breasts are not yet grown. What shall we do for our sister on the day she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build towers of silver on her. If she is a door, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. This is really, in some ways, a type of body shaming. This idea of looking at someone and placing value upon them based on what they look like. And we see this, especially in this day and age, in the culture that this would have been written in, when someone spoke for a bride or someone they hoped would be their bride, there was usually a price that was paid for this to take place. And oftentimes, if that bride was undesirable, the father of the hopefully bride would would pay the groom, take her. And so they're saying she doesn't have a lot to offer, if you know what I mean. So we will have to create towers of silver, not just a few. I mean, the, her worth is so little that we're going to have to place thousands of pieces of dollars upon her in order to just get somebody to move her. The door, I know that may not make sense to us, but if she is a door, we'd have to enclose her in cedar to make her look more presentable. Cedar was a very uh, precious wood at that time. And we're going to have to do this for her. And we... Have, have, have experienced some of this, haven't we? But it's a good thing that it doesn't end there. It moves on. And when love comes to town in verses 10 through 12, we'll begin to see some things. Because when love comes to town in verse 10, she knows that she is powerful, that she has something to offer. She says in verse 10a, I am a wall. You said, if I were a wall, I am a wall and my breasts are like towers. I know, awkward to say in church, isn't it? What is she saying? That was a sign of a woman's abilities were in her breast size. I know that shocks you today. 
And she says, I am a wall. And I am powerful in the midst of this. And I show it in who I am. How does she know this? Because love has come to town. And so she knows that because of love, because of the one who sees her, that her body is beautiful. It is everything that he desires and wants and needs. And there is a person for her. She doesn't have to live into some model of how it's supposed to be that bodies are beautiful. And when love comes to town, when love is expressed, you are enough. You are powerful. You bring something to that. And I know, guys, because we're talking about ladies right now, uh, we tend to think of this. And women have had to deal with body shame for a long, long time. But guys, we're starting in on this. I mean, how many of you see the ripped magazine and, you know, all this? We need to hear as well. That all bodies are beautiful. And when love comes to town, when you find that person or that person finds you, you are enough. You have something to offer in your body. You are powerful in that time. That's an important thing to know. I I wanted you to hear that the church says to people with bodies that you are enough. That you have something to offer And I pray that as you move in this, that you will begin to realize that Christ died for your body. That your body is, Paul would say later, the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are enough for God. And someday, if not already, you will be enough for the one who loves you. She goes on though. There's more, I know. Ready for more awkwardness? She sees herself as contentment for her partner. So she says, I am a wall. My breasts are like towers. Thus I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. And that word contentment is actually the word shalom, which is not just peace, but it is wholeness. That my body brings wholeness and completeness to him. That's the power that is, that is in her. Why she sees her body as something powerful. Because it brings contentment. It brings wholeness. It brings everything that he desires into this. Now, I I have to pause here because I want to make sure we understand. I love this, this couple that looks content. That it doesn't matter the color of our bodies, the shape of our bodies. There is a contentment that comes when love is present and real. And life comes out of that. But I want us to know that we don't gain our value by the way our partners see us. But we can see our inherent value through their eyes. Can I say that? Because there's there's kind of this tendency that, oh, if I just find the right person, then I will have value. No, you have value. And the hope is that when you find that right someone, you will see that inherent value in their contentment with you and your body and your personality and everything that makes you up. So I, I don't want us to, I don't want us to equate value with how we look in somebody else's eyes. I want us to understand that there's a balance there. And we don't gain that value through their view, but we can learn to see it and live into that value through their eyes, being seen through their eyes. Does that make sense to you? I hope so. I want you to know that. Um, and then lastly, she begins to speak her value. This is interesting because we just said that one of the things that she said in her poem earlier is that you can't buy me love. Well, then we have King Solomon 
trying to buy her love. They go back into the metaphor of a vineyard and they talk about he has a vineyard and he lets it out and he tries to buy and all these things. But she comes back to the king and says in verse 12, but my own vineyard is mine to give. The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon. The two hundred are for those who tend its fruit. That you can't buy me. Because of love, because of this value that I am seeing through the eyes, this inherent value that I have, because of all of this, I have some power and I can say to the king, my vineyard is mine. And I will give it to the one who shows love, who has shown me love. Who is there? My vineyard is mine own to give. She just shows her power in the midst of this. Now I know because this is all in the voice of a woman that guys, maybe you've kind of checked out. But I know because I am a man and because I have worked and walked with men that men are just as hungry to see their inherent value through the love of their spouses. That men need to understand also this idea that their bodies, their sexuality is theirs. It is not up for the highest bidder. It is not up for the next advertisement to try and entice you to give a piece of your body away. That we are called to wait for love to give it only to the one who shows us the sacrificial love that we are longing for, that sees us with right eyes and knows our inherent value. So men and women, you need to hear that from your church. Your bodies are yours. Give them to the ones who show you your inherent value in marriage. It is a beautiful, beautiful sacrament and ceremony that I think is so wonderful and we are called to as followers of Christ. I hope that's good news for you today. There's one last theme. It's kind of been running all the way through. We get down to the end and and again, uh, finally, uh, the male voice speaks and then the, the woman has the final word. And again, she is he is calling to her, where are you? And she is saying, oh, come away, my beloved. Again, she wants him to be a gazelle or a young stag climbing the mountains. See, the book ends open. It says to us that it never ends, this seeking and desiring, this longing, this desire to grow deeper and deeper together. The end of our book tells us, now you're on the journey. Now we hand it off to you, young lovers, that go and seek And desire, go and find that person who sees your inherent value, that knows what they long for. Go and find it. But all throughout this strange, crazy love poem book has been the theme of a garden. They've compared one another's bodies to it. They have, they have brought their love in the garden. And it's as if we are taken back in this moment because gardens are so important in Scripture. Do you know the Bible, uh, one of the first stories is about a garden that God creates. And one of the last stories in the Bible is about a garden that will be life to all humanity. 
It's as if the writer intentionally put all of these and wove them together so that we would recognize that the love that God is calling us to is that love that in the midst of even that passionate sexual act with your husband or wife can take you, in some ways help you experience that sacrificial, self-giving love that takes us back to the time of humanity's innocence. We even say that phrase right in our marriage uh, covenant. In a time of man's innocency, God created marriage. And so in this, we see these powerful metaphors all being tied together to realize that love even the physical desire, the relationship that is, blossoms out of that, marriage and human sexuality, shows us and teaches us something about the love that God has for human beings. Now, as Protestants, we do not see marriage as a sacrament. That, that means as a, as a means of grace. But I love what one of my professors, Rob Staples, wrote in the foreword of his book. He said exactly that. I know as Nazarenes we do not hold marriage as a sacrament, a means of grace. But he said, he named his wife, and I'll say of Lori, I have received so much grace from God through my spouse, through my partner in life. That she, God has used her to teach me so much about who I am, my value, the places that I'm broken, that I might be healed. The grace that puts up with the frustrations and engages me in those harder conversations. And so I thought today... As we celebrate and kind of wrap this all up and we celebrate love and those kinds of things, I thought it would be wonderful if we were able uh, to take communion today. We wanted to have couples kind of serve communion today. thought that would be fun. But we also didn't want it just to be married couples. I don't know if we, if we uh, achieved that part. Because I don't want you to think... I don't want you to think that marriage makes you valuable or more valuable or that you can't experience this love as friends, male and female friends. You can. You can experience the love of God in your friend who is not like you. And so we want you to come and receive today. I want you to come to the table of the one who showed us love. I say this every Sunday that we take communion. That this is not my table. And this is not Cross Communities Church of the Nazarene's table. This is not the table of the Church of the Nazarene. This is the table of the Lord. And He wants those who are hungry for a love that transforms to come to His table and be filled. And so if this is your first time with us here today, and you're hungry for the kind of love that we have discussed, the love that shows your value, that helps you understand how God sees you, the love uh, that, that allows you to take possession of the gift of your own body, if you are hungry for that, then you come today. Because Jesus, who came in bodily form, on the night that He was betrayed, still loved His disciples and gave, broke bread and gave to them and said, This is My body broken for you. Take and eat. 
And this is my blood poured out for you. Take and drink. Let's pray. And then in just a moment, I'll invite everyone to stand. And those who would like to come may come. I would like for you to take it with your families. Um, and if you are single, then single folk, huddle up. Let's, let's take that together. I don't want anyone to be alone um, while we're taking communion. This is us together. So let's do this together. Father, we pray that you would um, use these simple things, bread and cup, once again, to transform our lives. We thank You for the love that comes to us through our partners, through our spouses, and through our friends. We pray today that You would help us to receive Your love that does know our inherent value and can show us exactly what You are calling us to. I pray for our couples today, our marriages our engaged couples, that You would bless them and help them, that they would know the truth of this, uh, this love that we have talked about these four weeks. I pray for our folks who are single, that they would not feel less than, that they still have desire and hope, and that is a part of this great journey of love. So take the bread and the cup and empower us today, we pray in Jesus' name.